Heavenly Father, we come to you this day grateful that we can be together and sit at your feet and hear from your word these timeless truths. I pray that as this word is brought forward that you would take our minds, think through them, take my lips and speak through them, take our wills and bend them to your own, and take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I had a great Father's Day. I don't know about you guys, but it was, it was a real delight for me. I, I got what I wanted, uh, a, a bur- grilled burgers with ground pepper in them. You know, Ben cooked them out for me. It was wonderful. They, my, my children all pitched in and got me golf lessons for Father's Day. And if you've ever played, yeah, poor Dave Bartram. He's played with me. He knows what it's like, all right? And so uh, my game's improving. It's great. And uh, Kimmy gave me uh, Ken Burns' baseball, the whole DVD set from beginning to end. It's glorious. And, and I made them sit down. I said, guys, if you want to understand me, you got to watch this episode. And it starts off with Golden Earrings, Radar Love. Those of you guys who know that song. And it shows the big red machine, you know, because I, I was a huge Cincinnati Reds fan because my Washington Senators left. I was, I, was a, I was a baseball fan wandering in the wilderness. <laughs> and so I, I latched on to Sparky Anderson's Big Red Machine in 1975, and, my, and I made them watch this. God bless them. Even my future daughter-in-law, Amy, had to watch this. And the quote of the whole little episode, 10-minute episode, is from Pete Rose, where he says, I would run through hell in a gasoline suit just to play baseball. You know? <laughs> I love that. Well, I, I, and I, if Pete were here, I'd say, really, Pete? You know, <laughs> let's think about the implications of this. But I loved watching Pete, and I loved it. And it was, it was a wonderful thing. And I, I sat down Monday morning to prepare this message, and I thought to myself, what are my kids going to remember me for? They're going to stand at my grave and say, he loved baseball. <laughs> you know, he... He liked burgers. You know, he, uh, he, he, he tried to play golf. What's the legacy that we're leaving? And oh, there's great hope as we look at the person of Abraham this morning about what it means to leave a legacy of faith. Because you know, when a saint dies, the Lord rejoices. Psalm 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So my friends, when our family is gathered around our graves, what will they say about us? Blaise Pascal, in his father's death, took two great comforts. First, That the very year, day, hour, place, and manner of his father's death was providentially, lovingly decreed from his heavenly father. And second, he took comfort that his father's will was aligned with the Lord's will. And so in doing this, Pascal displayed a profoundly biblical perspective about death and life. And it is the same providence-laced laced perspective that graced Father Abraham's death. If you turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 25, if you're visiting with us, it's in the back of your bulletin. 
Look at verses 7 and 8 with me. You, you hear this Blaise Pascal, providence-laced perspective that graced Abraham's passing. Verse 7 and 8. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life. 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age. An old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. Abraham's years were metered and measured out by the perfect hand of providence. And a careful reading of Abraham's death will see that the account of his death and burial is framed on either side by genealogies. Immediately before, in verses 1 through 4, are his six sons by Keturah, his second wife. And following his death come the names of Ishmael's 12 sons in verses 12 through 18. These genealogies answer the covenant promise that God made to him. That his offspring would number as the dust of the earth, Genesis 13, 16. Or as the stars of the heavens. Look toward the heaven and number the stars, Abraham, if you can number them. Genesis 15, 5. And in Genesis 17, God says to Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, plural. By bookending Abraham's death with genealogical lists, the author, Moses, demonstrates God's faithfulness to the promises of his unnumbered and unnamed descendants such as us. And what we see here in this text is two great truths. Number one, God's faithful to, faithfulness to his word to his people. And we see Abraham's faithfulness to God. Let's look at these two truths together. One, God's faithfulness to his word. And Abraham's faithfulness back to God. Verses 1 through 6, you know, Sarah's death naturally brought about momentous changes in the patriarch's family structure. Isaac's position as heir and the ancestor of the chosen people we discussed last week was strengthened by that epic search we discussed last week. As he found, the servant found Rebekah and far away Aram, under the guidance of the providence of God, obviously. And widowed Abram also took a new wife. We don't know whether his marriage to Keturah occurred before or after Isaac's marriage to, Isaac, to uh, uh, Rebekah. But we can surmise that at his death, uh, there were about 30 to 35 years that he was married to Keturah. And because Keturah's name means spices, she's the original Spice Girl. And, and because, because several of her son's names are associated with the Arabian Peninsula, especially the territory east of the Gulf of Aqaba, most biblical scholars believe that her sons became the principals of the international spice trade, gathering and distributing great spices such as frankincense and myrrh and other aromatic spices. And these six sons plus the twelve sons of Ishmael would come to occupy the region over toward Egypt and would truly make Abraham 
the father of many tribes and nations. There's no record as to how these six sons of Abraham and Keturah got along with Isaac, their much older half-brother, the son of the promise. Certainly there's no conflict mentioned here whatsoever. In fact, Abraham's golden years, sunset years, are described in idyllic terms of blessing and of peace. Nevertheless, Abraham believed that God's promise was going to come exclusively through Isaac alone. The faith and the promise in which he offered Isaac and sent his servant to search out for a wife for Isaac did not waver in his declining years. So, with immense resolve, verse 5, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. No secondary heirs are listed. Yet, Abraham gave his heart and significant financial resources to his sons and grandchildren with Keturah. Verse 6, But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts, and while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward toward the east country. The scriptures are silent about the inevitable emotion of that parting. Uh, How was it for the older couple, especially for Keturah? Did the six sons go reluctantly? Or did they go out with a spirit of adventure, thankful for all the blessings of resources that Abraham, their father, had given them? We don't know. But one thing is for sure. Isaac is the one through whom a people, through whom a place would be secured for God's people. And he remained, as with his father, the unchallenged sole heir of the prince of the promise. So it's natural for us to wonder about the spiritual destiny, right, of these sons. Was there hope for them? Derek Kidner, the great Old Testament scholar, explains, absolutely. For in God's plan, these sons were sent away that there might be a true home in the end to return to. And Isaiah, in chapter 60, names these sons about the future glory of the future Israel. Isaiah quotes verse 6 and 7 of chapter 60. A multitude of camels shall cover you, Israel. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, sons of Keturah. And all those from Sheba, another son of Keturah. And what are they going to bring? They shall bring gold and frankincense. And they shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my house with them. See, God is faithful to his promises. And today, the offspring of those six sons may come just as it has always been through faith. Oh, not a blind leap. There's no such thing in the Bible. There's revelation and there's response to that revelation and that way is clear for those who trust in Jesus Christ who actually come, become Abraham's spiritual offspring and heirs of the promise. God is faithful to his word, to his people. 
and ultimately to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we see that Abraham has also been faithful to God. Verses 7 through 10, you know, I was wondering as I was preparing this, how was it as Abraham really started to age? You know, perhaps Alexander Solzhenitsyn's gentle musing about his own aging can give us an idea. As I was reading this poem that he wrote entitled Growing Old, I thought a lot of my my friend and mentor in Trinity Beaver, Carl Neely. Carl was getting up there as I was uh, his younger assistant. And he said, golden years? Well, I don't know what's golden about it. I have no gold and I got a lot of aches, you know? <laughs> well, Alexander Solzhenitsyn has these gentle musings when he says, aging is in no sense a punishment from on high but brings its own blessings and warmth of colors all its own. There is a warmth to be drawn from the waning of your own strength. You can no longer get through a whole day's work. But how good it is to slip into the brief oblivion of sleep, and what a gift to wake up once more to the clarity of your second or third morning of the day. <laughs> My mother told me about that. I just fall asleep. And I'm going to tell her on Tuesday when I call her, Mom, you can just wake up to your next good morning. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> you are still of this life, yet you are rising above the material plane. Growing old serenely is not a downhill path, but an ascent. Now, now he was, of course, writing from a Christian perspective, a man of faith whose hope is in Jesus Christ and the future resurrection. Very likely, Abraham's final years brought him a similar experience. Because his death is given the most verses in all the Bible next to our Lord. Think about that. And it pictures a, a picture of completeness and satisfaction. Verses 7 and 8, again. These are the days of years of Abraham's life, 175. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man, full of years, and was gathered to his people. The patriarch had learned through his long experience. Now, remember where Abraham has been, folks. Remember? You know? I've said it before. It's worth saying again. You know, he's, he's Abraham, but he's far from being perfect. You know, he went into another land, and Sarah, his wife, was beautiful. He said, don't tell them you're my wife. Tell them you're my sister or they may kill me. Man of integrity. <laughs> no, he wasn't perfect. But he became the man of faith that God wanted for him. And he had learned through all this experience, up and down in faith, that he must never imagine that his final home is here on earth. Abraham truly looked beyond this world to the ultimate city. He died as an old man and full of years. That's an expression that indicates that life is limited, that the span of life is allotted to us all. Abraham's time had come, to borrow Pascal's phrase, an intervention of providence decreed from all eternity to take place in the fullness of time. And so it will be for all of us. All our days are numbered. 
Our full complement of years is already determined. None of us die too soon. Whether we die at nine or ninety. As the psalmist wrote, which we prayed this morning, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. It's a gift to embrace our mortality, ladies and gentlemen. To understand that we have allotted number of days, especially for those of you who are younger. Such an understanding can serve to bring graced wisdom into our lives and to realign our priorities to the Lord and not our cultures. Further, Abraham's satisfaction did not coming from the number of years he lived, then he lived a long time, but from a century of faith. His epitaph ends with this soaring note, and he was gathered to his people. Not to his tomb, not to Sarah's bones, but to his people, the living fellowship of the redeemed. He was gathered to his people just as the beggar in Christ's parable in Luke 16 was said to be carried to Abraham's bosom. See, this account of Abraham's death closes and looks forward to the world when Christ will even come again to the new heaven and the new earth. There will be a physical existence that even Abraham was looking forward to. And so this account of Abraham's death closes with the estranged half-brothers Isaac and Ishmael reunited in their grief and their love for their father. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zoar, the Hittite, east of the Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites, verses 9 and 10. There, Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. So it's 30 years later, and Machpelah is reopened. And now by faith, Abraham's body was placed next to Sarah. And Abraham's body was a reminder that his descendants would one day possess this land. And by faith, the remains of their son Isaac, their laughter would be laid by his mom and dad, by their grinning bones. Ironically, it would be Isaac's estranged sons, Jacob and Esau, who would lay him in the same cave. But now it's Isaac and Ishmael who stood together at Abraham's grave, and I want you to notice the word order. Isaac and Ishmael. The younger is named first. He was the recognized firstborn in the eyes of God and his covenant people. But there was also blessings for Ishmael. I would not have you forget that. His descendants too would multiply so they could not be numbered for the multitude that they are. Genesis 16.10 He would be made into a great nation. Genesis 17 verse 20 But in his own day, Ishmael, son of Abraham, would quote, be a shadow, almost a parody of his father. His, his twelve princes, notable in their times, but not in the history of God's people. His restless existence was no pilgrimage, but an end in itself. His nonconformism became a habit of mind, not a light to the nations, as God's people are called to be. 
So the answer, what's the question here? The elephant in the middle of the room. Did, did Ishmael, this circumcised son of Abraham, ultimately come to faith? We don't know. But what we do know is that Isaac and Rebekah became the reigning patriarch and matriarch of Israel. Verse 11, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac his son, and Isaac settled at Bir Lahoroi. That's a tough one. Rich, you did a great job. <laughs> that place will become, and God blessing Isaac will become the theme over the next ten chapters in Genesis. That place was the place, Birleharoi, where Hagar was heard by God earlier. And he delivered her. It was also the place where Isaac was meditating when he first saw Rebekah. It would also be the place where he would be praying to God for Rebekah's barrenness. How faithful to the word of promise God had been and how faithful Isaac is going to be and Abraham now is. For God had covenanted to Abraham that his offspring would be numbered as the sand and the stars and that he would be the father of a multitude of nations. He had also promised him that Isaac would be the sole heir of the covenant and he would be greatly increased and the father of 12 rulers. And now at Abraham's death, we see that God had proved faithful in every word and Abraham's response for these past 30 years with Keturah was faithful in every way. And he left us a legacy of faith for us to walk in. How do we know what that is? Well, there's four famous New Testament passages. The first one is the one we read this morning. That we too can look at and follow in our way as well. First, we can follow Abraham's example of faith alone in God. Romans 4, Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Quoting Genesis 15, 6. And his example became the reference point to understanding that salvation, our right standing through God, comes not through ritualism, not through merely being a good person, but comes through trusting in what Christ has done for us alone. Abraham modeled that years ahead. He was ahead of his time. And thus, in Romans 4, the Apostle Paul demonstrates that Abraham was saved by faith, that King David was saved by faith, and even the Gentiles would be saved by faith. And it's that by faith, we're counted right standing. We're justified before God, and it's not something we do on our own strength. That's good news! Next, Abraham demonstrates that such a faith is followed by being a blessing to others through works. Whereas Paul uses Genesis 15, 6 to prove that Abraham was justified by faith, James uses this to demonstrate that Abraham was a blessing to those around him and show that this is what a life of faith looks like. If you don't have the works, you don't have the faith. But you're not saved by the works. You're saved by the trust and the faith in Christ alone. The fact that for 25 years Abraham had lived a life of faith demonstrates that 
The crown and culmination of that faith is proved by Abraham's offering to Isaac. Faith wrought with his works, and by his works his faith was made perfect. Third thing we can follow Abraham is, is the reality that we can trust in that salvation alone, and that's what makes us a Christian, not just by the fact that we call ourselves a Christian. All right? Galatians 3 teaches us that the ultimate children of Abraham are those who have been saved by faith through Christ alone. Paul says in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, in saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So that then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Jesus Christ. And in Christ Jesus, you are our sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You see, when you place your trust in Christ, you are a Christ follower, a Christian. That's what he's saying. Just someone calls himself such doesn't make one such. You know, I, I, if I'm in a garage, that does not make me a car. <laughs> right? And finally, Abraham's life teaches us what faithfulness looks like. Because in Hebrews 11, <laughs> the author uses Abraham's life to demonstrate how the faithful person lives in his community. We see Abraham's obedience. We see Abraham's sojourn. We see Abraham's hope. We see Abraham's confidence. We see Abraham's longing. We see his sacrifice. And we see his reasoning. All there in the hall of faith, along with all the other saints of Hebrews 11. How about you this morning? Abraham is indeed the father of all who believes. And the New Testament rides on the lyrics of belief that we come to Christ only by faith. And we live for Christ by faith. And we do so because every word of God is true. Because it's true. The tomb is empty. He is risen. He is ascended. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Right now. And he's given us his spirit to live the life we've been called to live, to be a blessing to one another and to the world around us. As long as we place our trust in him. John Denver's Uncle Matthew was such a person. Before John Denver got really wiggy, I was a huge fan. And, you know, even my kids like uh, Take Me Home Country Roads. You young people, you know that song? He wrote a song called Matthew out of gratitude for his uncle, who was a follower of Christ. This is Matthew's story and his legacy to a young John Denver. I had an uncle named was Matthew, was his father's only boy. Born just south of Colby, Kansas, was his mother's pride and joy. And the chorus goes like this. Yes, and joy was just a thing that he was raised on. Love was just a way to live and die. Gold was a windy Kansas wheat field. Blue was a Kansas summer sky. And all the stories that he told me, 
back when I was just a lad and all the memories that he gave me and all the good times that he had. Growing up a Kansas farm boy, life was mostly having fun. Riding on his daddy's shoulders behind the mule beneath the sun. Yes, and joy was just the thing that he was raised on. Love was just a way to live and die. Gold was a windy Kansas wheat field. Blue was a Kansas summer sky. Well, I guess there were some hard times, and I'm told some years were lean. A twister came in 47, a twister came and stripped him clean. Lost his farm, lost his family, lost the wheat, and lost his home. But he found the family Bible, the faith as solid as a stone. So he came to live at our house, and he came to work the land. He came to ease my daddy's burden, and he came to be my friend. So I wrote this down for Matthew, and it's for him this song is sung, riding on his daddy's shoulders behind the mule beneath the sun. It's pretty simple, but it's spot on. What are they going to say about us as they're around our grave? Faith is solid as stone? Or liked burgers, brats, and baseball. <laughs> I hope it's all. But most importantly, I hope it's that this story is true. And just love and joy is something we're raised on. Love is just a way to live and die. Gold is a windy Kansas wheat field. And blue is a beautiful Kansas and Cleveland sky. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for this day and thankful for your love and the, and the beauty of Abraham's life. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Kind of just like us. We're thankful that it's true and we can stand on the truth of the gospel because the tomb is empty. Lord Jesus, pour this love into our hearts. Help us to love you and love one another and our neighbors as you give us opportunity now. And as we prayed at the beginning of our service that you would graft into our hearts the love of your name. Increase in us this true religion. Nourish us with all goodness and bring forth in us the fruit of good works. Through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit. One God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.